Juggling motherhood and modern day life can be stressful and relentless, but it doesn't need to be this way. The Joy of Being podcast is the answer to maternal mental health, bringing sustainable relief and calm to hardworking mums everywhere so that you, your family and work can thrive. My name is Marina Pearson and I'm your host, transformational coach and mum who loves to interview business owners, transformational professionals and creatives to have insightful conversations about what it takes to really live a life that is thriving, fulfilling and full of joy. So in the next coming weeks, I have decided to launch a coronavirus series in which I'll be bringing on amazing guests to talk about these uncertain times and how even in uncertainty, there can be an amazing opportunity for us to thrive. Now, that may sound weird, especially if you're seeing markets tumble, especially if you've got people around you that are suffering because of the the virus, uh, and maybe even if because you are scared of your business coming to a halt. Whatever it is, the fears that you have and the panic that you may be feeling, then this series is going to really help with that. I felt really compelled to bring this into uh, my awareness, but also into the awareness of you, the listener. So with that in mind, I'm super excited to be launching this series and for us to create a different conversation to the one that's being had in the media. Not to say that this isn't important, not to say that we're not entering into difficult times, but to say that there is and there are other ways of viewing it other than the panic and the fear that's being brought to the table. So if you are feeling that and you know, you're, you are being affected by the coronavirus through your business, through your finances, through your health, then these are going to be incredible conversations to be tuning into. And if you know of anybody in that situation, then please, please, please do share the episodes with them. Enjoy. On today's show, I'm interviewing Daniel Priestley. Daniel started out as an entrepreneur at the age of 21 and built a multi-million dollar event marketing and management business before the age of 25. Successful entrepreneur, international speaker, and best-selling author, Daniel has built and sold businesses in Australia, Singapore, and the UK. Daniel is the founder of Dent, which runs a nine-month growth accelerator program for small enterprises working with over 500 plus entrepreneurs each year to develop their businesses. Dent has offices in the UK, USA, Singapore and Australia and he's incredibly talented at raising money as well for charities and also is an author for four best-selling key books key person of influence, entrepreneur revolution, oversubscribed and 24 assets. And I brought him on the show today because what I love about Daniel is his capacity to be calm in the face of a big storm. He also has incredible perspective on what's going on in the world and has been studying entrepreneurship for as long as I think he can remember. So I thought it'd be a great interview uh, to give some perspective on what's been going on in the world with all the uncertainty and the unrest. Plus, if you're a mum that has a business and you are flailing and you're wondering what to do next and whether it's all going to go uh, haywire, then this is going to be a great episode for you to see that all is not lost and what you can do to be able to actually surf the wave over the next coming years. So welcome everybody. And on today's show, I have the incredible Daniel Priestley. Gosh, I was reflecting on how long I've known you, Daniel, and I think it's coming up to about 13 years now. Um, You were one of the first people that I met 
Um, in terms of the personal development space when I got back to the UK after living abroad for about eight years. So thanks to you, actually, and I don't know if you knew this, but it was thanks to you that I got really involved in the personal development space when you were running triumphant events um, and created a really cool community of people um, around me. And that was really special because I was coming back to London. I didn't know anybody. Um, I left the UK eight years previously and I'd become a very different person. So heartfelt gratitude to you. Um, and also did the KPI program and just love, love, love the way you view life, but also the way in which you approach business and, um, how you view that too. So I'm really blessed and really grateful that you're here today. So thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to hear that um, that triumphant events played that role. Uh, it's really it did cool. massively yeah. for me. So thank you. So I know that before we started um, recording this, that we were talking about like uh, kind of like what I where we wanted to go with this conversation. And one of the things that I love about Daniel is that he's able to like just be really steady and quiet and still, even though there's a hell of a lot of chaos going on at the moment. You know, everything that's going on in the States, um, the riots, the the unrest, the conspiracy theories, whether or not they are, um, the, the whole house arrest in inverted commas, um, and, 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 and I think that there's a lot of stirring at the moment. And it's really easy for all of us to get caught up in that. But one of the things I really, really respect about Daniel is, is that he's able to sort of even all of that's going on, he's able to remain steady and focused and just really focus on what's important. So I really wanted to start there, Daniel. And I was really curious about where you see, you know, business has a place now, um, entrepreneurs, but also um, where you're sitting with all of this, in fact. Yeah. So um, thanks. Uh, thanks for that acknowledgement. Um, so a few things. I, I've always... The last 10 years, probably more than 10 years, I've been interested in an idea called the entrepreneur revolution. And that's the idea that um, very skillful and talented people are finding it more advantageous to go off and start a business um, than work in a large company. And if you were born at any other time in history, you would probably be on the factory floor or in a farm or in the military, um, unless you were born to an extremely rare elite family they represented like 1% of 1%, um, you know, the, the vast majority of people essentially were either serfs on the farm, uh, recruited into the military, or a little bit later onto a factory floor. And if we go to the industrial age, in order to own a factory, uh, the means of production, when you have a look at factories um, as little as 100 years ago, uh, essentially to own the means of production, you had to have huge resources. You had to have hundreds of people and you had to have, uh, you know, big factories and big machinery and all of this sort of stuff. <clears throat> and then around the turn of the 20th century, uh, 21st century, uh, it became possible to run your own small business from, from desktop, right? So a desktop computer. And where we are today is this ability to run a business from your phone. You know, in many ways, a lot of people <laughs> can can kind of, you know, for as little as a few thousand pounds setup cost, you can be in business, you can be a global business. I mean, you can literally have customers and clients all over the world. You can base yourself from anywhere 
and and be an entrepreneur. So this idea is this entrepreneur revolution, and it's kind of like you know the industrial revolution was all about being an industrialist if you could, if you could access those resources. The entrepreneur revolution is about the fact that you can own the own your own means of production. Um, it's a pretty radical idea. It's first time in history that in a meaningful way anyone could own the own own their own means of production. So um, I'm always very focused on that as a trend and I'm focused on um, the great opportunities that that presents. Uh, And what's interesting is the world that we live in at the moment, there's different ways you can focus your attention. You can focus on atrocity and disempowerment and everything that's wrong. And there's always plenty of things that are wrong in the world and there always has been plenty of things that are wrong in the world. Um, But you know, the 2010s was one of the most glorious decades for humanity ever. Um, so in Asia, uh, we began the 2010s with 25% of people living in poverty with less than two US dollars a day. Um, and we ended the decade with 9% of people in poverty. Um, so a dramatic 16% reduction of people living in, in dire poverty in, uh, in Asia. Um, we, you know, we've had something like less than 30% of people in the developing world with a bank account, and now it's over 75% of the world with a bank account um, in, um, in the developing world. Uh, you know, and that all happened in a decade, right? So we now have farmers in Africa who have cloud computing. Uh, they literally have in their pocket a device that tells them the weather and how to, you know, how to best plan their crops and how to, um, you know, bank, uh, you know, how to connect with other people, you know, other farmers. So, in just one decade, we're seeing a radical shift um, in a positive way for humanity. We have this thing called the United Nations Global Goals, and the Global Goals are 17 humongous goals that we have to achieve as a humanity, and there's just millions of people working towards these United Nations Global Goals um, uh, at the moment. So in many respects, there's good stuff. Here's the difference with the, the world that we live in at the moment. The world we live in at the moment um, it's a it's a complex issue, but uh, our human brains evolved uh, in a linear world, in a world where <clears throat> you really only knew, or, or what was relevant was really only the the local five mile radius, and the time that was relevant was essentially you know weeks to months forward or backwards. You know the next season was relevant, the past season was relevant, maybe the next year was relevant, the past year was relevant, but but as far as um, remembering huge amounts of information from more than a year ago, our human brains aren't really built to do that. And as far as understanding what are the issues all over the world, our human brains are not built for understanding that. So we've got these brains that are built for linear problems. And we now live in an exponential digital world. So for example, it's in, in um, you know, as little as maybe 20 or 30 years ago, if an issue happened, if something horrible happened, if there was an, if there was a, an act of police brutality uh, in the USA and it didn't make world news, then someone living in the UK or Spain would never have heard about it. There's just no, there's just no, you would have no conscious awareness that that was going on. It was probably going on. Um, and, and you just had no awareness of it. So when you look at the actual statistics of pr- police brutality in the UK, it's gone, um, it's, it's uh, sorry, in the USA, which is where we're focused on at the moment, it's actually gone to around a third of where it was in the 1980s. Um, so it's, it's dramatically two-thirds 
police brutality, police violence, police killing an unarmed person um, in the line of duty has has dropped significantly. Now, it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't feel like that. It feels like it's gotten so much worse. And the reason it's gotten so much worse is because we have a, a digital camera to capture every damn thing that happens on the planet and put it right there in your face, um, and and to make it um, to make it uh, feel very real. We have this system inside our brains, um, which uh, which is the amygdala, and that system basically uh, is finely tuned to look for threats, to look for things that are wrong and to look for things that are bad and things that could hurt us and things that could be damaging. And um, when you combine these two systems, the mobile phone system, uh, Facebook Live, video, YouTube, Uh, when you combine that system with the amygdala, you end up with a lot of people who are very stressed and very anxious um, about nonlinear events. Um, uh, And, 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 you know, our brains are just not tuned in the same way to kind of look at long, good trends that are happening over time that, you know, massive improvements that take a decade we're, we're really finely tuned to look at stuff that, um, that, that is, you know, dangerous right here and now. Yeah, I love that. And, I, you know, one of the things that I've kind of been reflecting on is, you know, what with COVID and everything, if we all focus on that one thing, it feels like it's the only thing that's actually going on because we're all focused on it. It's a little bit like if you've got like a piece of, I don't know, my, <laughs> my five-year-old and I actually don't look at the fact that he's actually wearing a shirt or that he's actually wearing a beautiful shirt you're just focused on that one thing so it looks far bigger than it actually really is because you're not taking it into the into like a context as you say of like 10 years or taking it into a context of like with uh, with you know COVID of, of you know comparing it to other flus and so forth over 10 year decade so I think that there is a real um, what you're really sharing here is um, an opportunity for us to just get really important in mind um, as business owners um, where do you see I mean obviously we're talking about the right here and now what's going on but what is your what is your sort of vision for the next two years, let's say, of, of where we're heading? And, you know, you've been in business, well, since I've known you, but I'm sure it's been way before that. I know your dad's in business and been in the business for years. Um, and you've seen trends. So I'd love to know a little bit more about what your thoughts are on that. So it's the greatest time in history to be an entrepreneur. Um, there's never been a, a better time to be entrepreneurial, to have an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, there's more money available on the planet than ever before. There's more resources available than ever before. There's more access to marketplaces than ever before. Um, there's more technology that enhances and supports entrepreneurship than ever before. There's more information and and explainer videos and practical guides to how to do things than ever before. Um, there's greater communities. There's the ability to find the niches that matter. Um, there's the ability to broadcast a message. There's the ability to write and publish a book. There's the ability to launch a product globally. Um, you know, like these are, these are things that were not afforded to large groups of people. You know, if we only, you only have to go back about 25 years and, the idea of writing and publishing a book was an arduous two-year process to get a publisher or a writing agent to get you into the industry. Um, you had to dedicate your life to, 
you know, you had to dedicate years to becoming an author. And now that's just something you can, you can do in your spare time if you want to. Um, and you've got an immediate global platform uh, for, for being able to do that. Um, you know, so my view for anyone with an entrepreneurial mindset is, is sublime. You know, people with an entrepreneur mindset should be very, very excited. I think it's less exciting if you've got an employee mindset. Um, if you want just a, um, if you want just a normal pay, if you want to get paid by an organization and, and just have someone kind of like, you know, give you work to do nine to five and work for a large corporate and, you know, and just have the job security, then it's probably not as, not as great as it once was. Um, uh, but, uh, but, but ultimately, uh, as, as entrepreneurs and, and people with businesses, the next decade really affords you the opportunity to live and work anywhere with fast internet, with the lightning fast internet, you know, um, you know, the, the speed, the speed of internet will, uh, will go through the roof in the next few years. Um, uh, and you can live and work anywhere. You can, you can, uh, access anything you need. So it's a, it's a, just an incredible time to be an entrepreneur that the very difficult thing about the time that we're in right now is recognizing that the brain that you got pre-installed your hardware, uh, that, uh, the hardware and software that came pre-installed, um, is not built for a digital world. Um, it's built for a linear world, a world where you only pay attention to the local 10-mile radius and the, la- and the year behind and the year ahead is all that matters. Um, we're not built to have huge understanding of history and we're not built to understand everything that's going on in the planet and we're not built to do that. We're really, we are advanced apes um, who, you know, who, who essentially we have to have an awareness and, and some discipline around the fact that our monkey brains are just not really well-developed for being able to operate in this kind of new environment that we find ourselves in. Um, and yet, if you can get your head around it, it's the greatest time in history to be alive. So there are two things that come to mind when you were talking. One is, what is this entrepreneurial mindset um, that you so <laughs> excitedly talk about? Um, what does that mean, really? Um, and how can we get our heads around it? So let's just start with the first question, really. So I like to just have a simple view of an entrepreneur mindset. It's really simple. And that I imagine the entrepreneur brain is as three things, right? So there's the reptile, the monkey, and the visionary. Um, and the reptile brain is the part that wants to fight, flight, freeze, freak out. Um, it's reactionary. It's emotional. Um, you know, it's very primal, uh, and it's built to, it's built to identify threats and then come up with really short term solutions to threats. So if you imagine where that part of the brain is built from and where it evolved from is that if you were going about your day picking fruit and along comes a bear, um, you want to be able to run uh, as fast as you can, you or you want to throw a big rock as fast. You want to pick something up and throw it uh, at the bear, right? So you you want to kind of like do something that's 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 immediate and violent and fast. Um, so that's the amygdala. That's the that's the reptile brain. Now, where that part of the brain doesn't work very well is when you see an atrocity on. Um, on the TV or on on your computer screen, 
and you feel like this rage that you want to throw a brick at the screen um, or you want to slap the computer down and run and hide and hide under the duvet and spend a day in bed because you've been watching something on, on, on a screen. So the reptile brain is just easily triggered by stuff that looks like a threat because it's a moving image of a threat, but it's not really a threat. It's, it's something that is unfolding as news somewhere else on the planet. So um, the amygdala is finely tuned. You need to have a self-awareness of I'm going reptile on this problem, right? Um, <laughs> oh, how funny. I just, I just had an image of, of um, my son in the dinosaur suit. <laughs> oh, totally. And also, like, five-year-olds go reptile on stuff very regularly. Regularly. Um, you know, yeah. I've got, I got th- three kids under six, and, and they regularly have reptile moments. Um, and, then, uh, and then the next one is uh, the monkey brain, and the monkey brain wants to tinker. It just wants to tinker. So all it wants to really do is be in the familiar environment and just kind of go into autopilot mode, just doing the same thing, checking the emails, um, dithering around, organizing the receipts, you know, putting putting stuff from this pile of junk into that pile of junk, you know, it's just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to fold the laundry and I'm just going to kind of drive my car and I'll just go down to the same coffee shop and just kind of tinker and just be in the comfort zone and just kind of zone out a little bit. Um, and and that's monkey brain. And in business, it basically looks like endlessly checking your emails to see if anything's happened and just kind of like, you know, just doing stuff that doesn't really matter all that much, um, looking on social media, right? That's all the, that's kind of all the monkey brain. Um, and then the final part is the visionary. And the visionary is actually the neofrontal cortex. It's the, it's the high-tech upgrade that we did get that sits on top of two very primitive parts of the brain. And it's essentially our ability to strategize, empathize, um, have a high degree of compassion, love, understanding, spot the connections. It's our ability to speak powerfully and enroll people into a vision. It's our ability to um, build community, build trust. Um, it's our ability to portray a vision of something that hasn't yet happened but make it feel and seem real. It's our ability to kind of go out into the future and think about what the future might be like and then bring something back to the present and, and build it now. Um, it's our ability to problem solve and, you know, complex problem solving. So essentially entrepreneurship is a game of being in the visionary brain. It, um, it all happens in the visionary brain and all success comes from the visionary brain. There is no success that comes from reptile or monkey. A reptile will unravel you. Monkey will just kind of give you more of the same um, if you're lucky uh, and um, until you're disrupted. And then visionary is actually where it's the source of all successful um, decisions. So uh, essentially successful entrepreneurs are very disciplined at being able to stay in the visionary mind as opposed to being in the monkey or the reptile mind. So um, it's about reverse engineering the future. Um, there's, a, there's a type of philosophy as well that's very useful for entrepreneurs, which is called stoicism. Um, and stoicism, basically, uh, one of the cornerstones of stoicism is blocking out things that really you have no control over um, and putting all of your energy into the things that you do have control over. Um, uh, and another tenet of stoicism is is uh, working towards an inspired vision, despite the fact that it's probably going to have positives and negatives attached to it. So uh, a stoic is, is not necessarily in fantasy land thinking that this will be all positives or all negatives. Um, stoic is just kind of like, I'm just going to work towards a vision that I, that I'm in charge of that I can control. 
Oh, I think I've lost you there. Um, do you still have me? Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I reckon I can really relate to to that. And my experience in the last two months has really been sort of the latter, the stoicism, um, and and kind of staying there and not buying into what's been going on out. Now, I, I, I hear what you're saying about discipline. Um, the question is, how do we stay there? Because I'm assuming that, well, I don't know about you, Daniel, but there are moments that I have monkey brain moments. I have also reptilian brain moments, um, especially with five-year-olds running around. But um, I'm curious about, you know, this discipline and also staying in the visionary um, because we are human after all, and I guess we have those moments, right? So what are some of the things that you've seen that have really helped, um, and what's your philosophy on it? The key is to uh, avoid leveraging. Um, the key is to avoid leveraging reptile moments and to try and leverage visionary moments. So it's all really it's around leverage. So if you can contain the reptile moments to uh, linear events, and if you can make visionary moments exponential events, then you'll do just fine. So what do I mean by that? If you're having a reptile moment, if you can restrain yourself from sending emails and, and um, posting on social media and, uh, and, and um, texting people, because essentially anything that you do digitally is exponential, you're able to have exponential reach. So if you think about someone who maybe 50 years ago was having a reptile moment, they might have called their mother. They might have called a friend. They might have, um, you know, uh, thrown and thrown a brick at a, at a wall or something, um, but it would not be a, an exponential event. You wouldn't actually, um, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, <clears throat> broadcast that to thousands of people or you wouldn't create something that actually is documented and long-lasting and, and, you know, it's it's now part of your brand. Like that's a that's a relatively new idea. So when I'm having a reptile moment, um, I have just the tiniest little bit of restraint that says, "Don't do anything that could be permanent." <laughs> Look with this. So, um, so be you know, uh, be be frustrated, be annoyed, um, thump your desk, thump your hat, fist on the desk. Um, you know, or write in a journal or go for a walk. Um, but draw the line at sending that email, posting on social media, sending text messages out. Recognize that you're having a reptile moment and that what you want to do is contain it to a, a, a linear event, not a exponential event. Um, and then when you recognize you're having a visionary moment, you want to do the opposite. So a visionary moment is where you're, um, you're working on something you can control. Um, it's actually, it leverages your past, your expertise. You're an expert in it. You're, you're um, you know, it's something that is is right for you and that it's it's your life's work and that you're thinking very clearly and very strategically and you're having moments of clarity. And then you want to say, okay, in those moments, I'm going to record a video. In those moments, I'm going to, uh, you know, set up a Facebook group to get people like that together. Um, now it's, it's a little bit tricky. Sometimes the rep, the reptile and the monkey gang up on, uh, the, the visionary to try and convince 
you that you're actually having a visionary moment when you're actually having a monkey reptile moment. Um, <clears throat> we had one of those moments. <laughs> so sometimes people are sitting there going, oh, I'm having a massive visionary moment. I'm going to expose conspiracy, th- conspiracy theories. And it's like, you're not. You're not having a visionary moment. You're having a total meltdown. Um, <laughs> and this is not your life's work. You know, exposing the Rothschilds as lizard people is not going to, is not going to be your life's work. I can promise you that. That's not that's not what you put on the planet to do. Um, so it, the monkey and the reptile can sneak up, and they will, they can gang up and work together. Um, <laughs> to, yeah, to, yeah, to convince you you're having a visionary moment when you're absolutely not having a visionary moment. Oh wow, <laughs> it sounds like a lot going on. Um, so um, for you. If so, in terms of staying in the visionary um, and and moving forward with everything that's going on, how do you see the next few years sort of panning out for people that do have businesses? And I know that you said, okay, we've got all of this technology, but our brains are kind of like quite overwhelmed with all of it all. I'm curious about that, like in terms of the economy and and so forth. So, yeah. The, the tricky thing with the next 10 years is that it will, it will, uh, there'll be, there'll be people who succeed really, really well and effortlessly. And there'll be people who fall behind despite working harder than they've ever worked. Um, and if you imagine two people go out for a jog and they're both jogging side by side with each other and they're roughly jogging at the same speed. And then one person spots this new thing called a bicycle and they stop for a minute and the, the their friend keeps jogging and they go, you're an idiot. You know, what are you interested in this bicycle thing? And for, for a short period of time, the person looks like they're wobbling around on the bicycle and they're kind of finding their feet with it. And, you know, they're kind of just getting, getting comfortable with it, but very rapidly, as soon as they're comfortable with it, they power past the jogger, the, the friend who's jogging and they just go effortlessly down the road. And what happens is that one person's experience of life is I'm, I'm moving faster than ever before and it's requiring less energy than ever before and it's funner than ever before. And the other person says, I'm running harder than I've ever run before. I'm jogging as hard as I can. I'm, going as, I'm putting everything I can and yet I'm still falling behind. Um, and the difference is this piece of technology called a bicycle. Now, what we're having at the moment is we're having some people who say, I just want to keep jogging and I've done business this way. You know, I've always met people one-to-one and I've always met people in person. I've always run some live events and I've always, you know, kind of done things a certain way over the last 10, 20 years and it's worked pretty well for me. I really don't want to do this whole Zoom thing and I really don't want to do this whole video thing and I don't want to put a book on Amazon and I don't want to have videos on YouTube and I don't want to record podcasts. Um, I don't really want to leverage media or technology or any of that sort of stuff. I just want to do things the way that I, I do things. Now, if you have that mindset, you're the jogger, you're the one jogging um, on the path and you're going to watch people whiz past you and you're going to be incredibly frustrated. Um, now, if you're the type of person who says, oh, this is cool, look at all these new toys. Um, I've got podcasts and videos and books that I can put out. I've got products that I can create online. I can create an e-learning course. I can, um, I can join a community. I can join a group. I can learn from people from all over the world. I can, um, you know, I can 
access knowledge and people and teams and I can have a person who's working with us over here and another person over here um, and we can have a daily meeting across 12 different countries and time zones, you know, without leaving our front, you know, without leaving the home. And, and if you've got that mindset, then you're on the bicycle. You're, you're, you, you might be wobbly at first. You might f- take a while to find your feet. And some people might laugh at you going, oh, you know, you're doing all this stuff and you're falling behind and you're not making any money, um, uh, you know, initially. But it's like actually you're on the bicycle and you're about to go whizzing, whizzing past. So um, what we're going to see is polarity. We're going to see, you know, two, po- two polarities. We're going to see people who fall behind pretty fast and we're going to see people who shoot forward pretty fast. Um, the other thing too is in the West, in the developed world, we have a very, very narrow view of who's winning and who's losing. Um, so <clears throat> let's, say you're, let's say you're in the USA or in the UK And you say, oh, the 2010s was pretty bad. It was a terrible decade because our wages didn't go up very much. Um, You know, not not a lot happened in the 2010s and it was like a a terrible um, decade. And it's like, well, that's a very narrow view because actually uh, close to a billion people got lifted out of poverty. They just don't live linear to you. They're on the other side of the planet. You know, people like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people got out of poverty, um, you know, in the 2010s. If you go to the Philippines or you go to Thailand or you go to, um, you know, parts of Africa or you go to Indonesia, you'll find example after example after example of families that were in real poverty that, you know, their daughters were probably on track to become prostitutes. And instead of becoming prostitutes, they went to university, you know, and that happened this decade, right? They went to school, they went to university, they got jobs, you know, the, some of them in, in call centers, some of them in, um, uh, some of them in uh, silicon, you know, production businesses creating computers. Um, all sorts of new jobs started flourishing in these areas that were not slave labor, that were not prostitution you know there there are parts of thailand and indonesia and philippines that were pretty desperate in the early 2000s and now they're actually pretty you know they've they've come a long long way so we have a very narrow view of who's winning and who's losing in the west um and we, we you know a lot of people you know say poor me without recognizing actually okay you didn't do you didn't you didn't double your income in a decade but actually a billion people went from under $2 a day to over $10 a day. And that's very meaningful for those people. Um, so, uh, you know, so, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's that, but in the, in the 10 years ahead, there's going to be more of that. Hopefully I, I really hope that it's Africa's turn in, in um, the 10 years ahead that we actually see uh, Africa go from a lot of people under $2 a day to a lot of people over $10 a day. Um, and there's, there's certainly, um, there's certainly initial trends that would that would highlight that that's possible, um, and uh, you know, for someone who's in the West who's educated, there's going to be a big trend towards getting out of urban environments and out of big cities, um, and um, and making a making a really healthy income, living anywhere you want to live, with a back garden and a you know, <laughs> and and more more enjoyable pace of life but actually using your education, your training, your experience to, to do projects all over the world.
I can sleep well at night now. I've got a garden and I've got a computer and I've got a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're on the bicycle. So all there. <laughs> um, what I'm really hearing with all of this is that there's a sense of transformation adaptation happening. But so often we look at what's not working, but don't see what's actually happening. Um, and what I'm really hearing you say is, is that if we actually focus on what is happening outside and we look at a bigger picture, we actually, once again, get more perspective. So for somebody that um, is sort of in the motions of creating that online world for themselves and their business, what would you say would be the most important thing for them to look at? Uh, I'm not sure. So with all of this that's going on, and you know, what was coming to mind was if somebody is looking or is already online, what are the most uh, beneficial things that they can be doing to grow and flourish as a business? So um, there's a few concepts and there's, there's stages of development when you're growing and flourishing as a business. So the first stage is really clearly understanding your value and, and being able to present your value to the world. Um, so I, I have this concept called the mountain of value. You're already standing on a mountain of value. You have experience, you have stories, you have examples, you have networks, um, you have high points and low points. All of that's part of your mountain of value. It's all valuable. Um, the, the, the difficult challenge is it's easier to get excited about the silhouette of someone else's mountain of value from a distance, um, than to get excited about the reality of your mountain of value that you're up close with and that you can't really see because you're on it. Um, so when you look at someone over there who's flipping properties and seems to be making 150 grand a minute, um, and you're sitting there going, oh, wow, that's an amazing silhouette of their mountain of value over there. You've got to recognize it's an illusion, right? It's not real. That person is not really making that sort of money as effortlessly as they're presenting. Um, and their story that they might be telling may have unfolded over 15, 20 years and they're just making it sound like a really cool story that happened in a minute. Um, so you've got to you've got to pay more attention to your own mountain of value than the mountain of value of others. And you've just got to recognize that someone else's mountain of value, mountains don't pop up out of nowhere. They've been doing it 15, 20 years. And you're, if you go and chase that mountain of value, you're going to start right at the bottom um, and you are going to basically... Uh, dishonor your own story, dishonor your own background, dishonor your own, you know, uh, and, um, and, and the real trick is initially to figure out what your value is and to really understand it at a very deep level, to really, really understand nuances about the value that you have to offer. So that's part one. Part two is to become influential for that and to build a community of people who recognize it and who, um, who want to tap into it. Um, and who can gain value from from what you have to offer and to become known for what you're good at and to to become an influencer or become more influential, to release books, to have podcasts, to have videos, to build community, all of that sort of stuff uh, relates to becoming influential. Um, around that, you need to build a small team. Um, business is fundamentally a team sport, and I see a lot of people, a lot of great people who fail because they fail to put together a team. They want to do everything on their own. Um, and you know, uh, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise a business. Um, you know, so 
you need an amazing graphic designer. You need someone who can help you with technology. You need someone who's going to get on the phone and make some sales. Uh, you need a financial controller. You know, you need all these people around you uh, to make a business successful and that allows you to do your high value thing while they do their high value thing. And if you're not putting together teams, I'm not talking about traditional employment or full-time employees or any of that sort of stuff. I'm talking about, you know, having a team of people who can support you so that you're not doing all the the stuff that's just of no value or, or it's not your value. Um, um, Daniel, yep. if, if you're going to hire... If you're just starting out, who would be the core team? Like, you know, uh, I'm assuming that for those of us or, you know, people who are one-man band or whatever, what would you, what would you say, what would you share with them to yeah. hire? So the, um, the, uh, the first thing is there's no one-man band. It's a multi – there's only, there's only a band if there's more than, more than one person. So you need to build a band. You need to get the band together. Um, and uh, there's a one there's there's a thing called a one man band, which is basically someone who's got a drum strapped to their back and a guitar at their front and a harmonica and a hat that plays the cymbals, and they do not look like they're in a sustainable place, right? They're not having the same yeah, fun. Monkey on the floor, though. <laughs> right? They're they're not the the one man band is a is a strange thing to witness. Who can they can only they can only keep this going for one song, uh, you know. Whereas, whereas you see a real band and they support each other, they're playing great songs, they're writing great music, you know, so you've got to get a real band together. And, and like a real band, you need three or four people. So, so here's, I mean, here's what I personally look for when I'm starting a business. Um, I want to have a salesperson. I want someone whose job is booking appointments and making sales um, and supporting the sales function. I want a graphic designer who can turn what's in my head into great documents, pretty websites, um, you know, designs. I want someone where I can scribble on the back of a notepad, this is what I want something to look like. And then they they go, yep, cool, I've just turned that into a website or I've turned that into a brochure um, or an offer form. Um, uh, those, you know, those are two of the f- very first types of people that I need. I personally always start with a, per- a personal assistant, a VA. Um, there are plenty of VAs who are, you know, 15, 20 pounds an hour. And you might just have two hours um, uh, a day where that person is, you know, just helping with scheduling and booking appointments and, um, you know, uh, sourcing suppliers, going on to Upwork and finding some people who who can build the business. I personally love to uh, start with, um, uh, you know, someone who I I like having someone who's a bit famous on the team, someone who's like well-known, someone I can leverage. Uh, in terms of if they're really well known, if they've got if they've already got ten twenty thousand followers, you know, then if I can in some way have them part of the business, um, that's you know that's always powerful. Um, it, it brings a lot of credibility and cut through to 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 the business. So whether they're a non executive or a speaker or in some way aligned to the business, um, that's always uh, that's always super powerful. Um, yeah, so those are those are kind of some of the first people that I always put together on teams. Um, that's I love I love that perspective. Yeah. Oh, and then another one, a cleaner. Yeah, I know. Gosh, Cleaner, <laughs> cleaners and nannies don't get anywhere near the credit they deserve. Oh, I know. Behind, I, behind every behind every great entrepreneur is a great cleaner and a great nanny. Yeah, and I've got both, so I'm I'm just really like, oh. 
that was actually my ex my ex husband Mark who 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 suggested always have a cleaner and I and I was like actually yeah no definitely totally uh, yeah look cleaning the house takes you know takes hours per week and um and let's let's say that it's four hours a week you get a cleaner in two hours you know twice a week or something like that or three hours you know once a week you know while they're there while they're in your house cleaning you sit down at your desk and you write a blog and you put that brochure copy together and you literally use the use the cleaner as a trigger for right now is my moment to do some really high value work i'm paying someone else uh to do to clean my house something as intimate as cleaning my house i'm going to use that time powerfully um to uh to do something you know really valuable yeah that's great so um you said so the next thing because we were on, we were on number one, and now we're on number two. But I inter- I interrupted you with with. Oh yeah, so well then essentially you you build a bit of influence, you build a bit of a team, um, and then you essentially need to in order to be on the bicycle like we talked about, it comes down to three things: uh, developing intellectual property, uh, which is can be anything like books, posters, um, checklists, checklists, methodologies, um, content. All of that fits in with intellectual property. Um, turning that into media, so books, uh, videos, podcasts, anything people can watch, read, or listen to, um, uh, or events to attend, or online events, or um, uh, you know, training materials, um, and then um, the final piece is turning that into technology. Um, so you know, setting it up in a learning management system, um, having online calculators, having online scorecards. Um, uh, having maybe an app, uh, having, you know, leveraging technology, even, even when you start leveraging other people's technology off the shelf technology, but the business runs on it. So you have, you know, Slack, you know, and you have, uh, zoom accounts and you have all of the stuff that you kind of need CRM systems, um, so that you're essentially using technology to do all the heavy lifting, um, and then you have a small team that does all the really exciting, valuable stuff. So you're leveraging through IP, media, and tech. Um, and the more you're building your business out of intellectual property, media, and technology, um, the more you're going to be able to surf the waves, these trends that are coming along. You're going to be on the bicycle. I'm going to mix my mix my metaphors. Um, but uh, you're going to be surfing the waves on your bicycle. <laughs> Can I have a motorbike instead? I think it'll yeah, be fun. Yeah, you can. You can be surfing your motorbike on on the waves of change. Um, and what I'm really hearing you say is that these are all assets. These are working for you while you're asleep because you're not having to. Once you do it once, then it's basically working for you again and again and again, right? Yeah. So the the powerful thing with digital is it has three superpowers, um, and the three superpowers is transcends time, space, and wear and tear. Um, so time means that if you record something a year ago, it's still adding value today. And one of my most watched videos on YouTube is something I, I stuck up seven years ago and it's every single month it gets watched about 400 times. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I looked online. Yeah, well, I'll come back to that. Uh, the next one is, so that's time transcending time, transcending space is the ability as soon as you create anything digital, it's out, it's all over the world all at once. So it's you know you upload it in you know uh, Birmingham and it's suddenly in Bristol, Boston, Bangalore, Brisbane, you know it's everywhere. Um, 
So, um, you know, so you transcend time and space. And then wear and tear means that a thousand people could use it, a million people could use it, a billion people could use it and benefit from it, and it doesn't lose any quality. So once you start moving everything into digital, you're transcendent of time, space, and uh, wear and tear, and it actually kind of makes you transcendent of time, space, and wear and tear. So you can then be anywhere you like, whenever you like, um, without feeling worn out. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to feel very, very mighty and powerful after this call, after this, this, um, this interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and is there a final one, or was that it? Did we get? Did we yeah, get? No, it's building. building we can end up building up to having assets. Um, you know where you end up. In, look, I run a fairly big business. So we got sixty plus full time people running around. Um, you know, you end up you end up in a place where you've you essentially your whole life revolves around talent and teams and developing teams, developing assets, and then creating predictable revenue and performance and and all of that. And it fits. You know, you, you're building culture, you're building assets, you're building uh, performance. Um, and you just kind of like you get into this really nice kind of rhythm of doing that. Um, now, the only caveat I will say is that founders of companies become um, they get too much credit and 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 um, essentially uh, too much of the glory and too much of the spotlight goes onto the founder. Um, some people listening to this are going to sit there and go, "God, I don't know where to start with putting together a team and developing assets and all of that sort of stuff." And if you're sitting there going, you know, that seems so overwhelming and so far out of my comfort zone, then the real key is to join a team of someone who's already doing that. So go find an amazing team that's already feels like they're on the bicycle and see if you can do whatever it takes to join their team and be part of a team. You know, my first experience in business was spending two years on a, in a startup that went from zero to six million and I was employee number three. And I basically did a two-year apprenticeship in entrepreneurship by being part of a startup. And, you know, everything I've kind of learned, you know, a lot of it goes back to those first two years. I was 19 years old working for a guy who was 37, 38, very successful entrepreneur, um, you know, huge house, lovely, you know, great family, great impact in the world. And I worked for this guy for a couple of years and that kind of set me on a path of, of knowing what to do. So there's nothing wrong with being on an entrepreneurial journey while doing two years work for an entrepreneur where you're actually on an entrepreneurial team. I, I would go so far as to say an incredibly predictable part of the journey is working for an entrepreneur, um, you know, where you, where you learn the ropes. The other day I was talking to someone who sold his company for $10 million after three years in business. And um, I said, so how did that happen? He said, I did six years working in three startups um, so I did two years in each startup, uh, working in, in three fast growth startups. And then I felt I knew exactly what I was doing. So I went off and started my own and within three years sold it for 10 million. Um, but, but he, you don't, he, he said, you don't get those three years without the first six years. Right. I love that. I love that. It would never have occurred to me, but I love that because in fact, yesterday I had this really big epiphany, which is nothing's ever a waste of time unless you don't learn anything from it. Yeah, it's all part of the mountain of value. It's the learning, right? It really is. And you may not get the results you want, but the whole point is is that actually it's what you learn in the process. Because then as you learn, you can tweak and change. And, and so what you learn and what doesn't work is actually highly valuable. 
And often we overlook that because we judge ourselves and we think we're a failure, but that's when we miss the learning. <laughs> yeah, the high points and the low points are part of the mountain of value. I've seen people who've built multi-million pound businesses by sharing some of their lowest points. Um, you know, I've seen people who, you know, who like it, it's the highs, the lows, you know, some of the things that people learned at their lowest moments became the intellectual property that formed the basis of a great product. Um, you know, so I see that all the time. So the highs, the lows, you know, anything you've struggled with, you know, anything that anything you've triumphed from or anything you've struggled with can be the, the basis of valuable IP. Yeah, I, I think that's really true. One final thing, like if you were going to share one final thing with someone who is, you know, scared and, you know, like looking out and going, oh my God, my business, what I'm going to do. What would, what would want to come from your heart to share with that person? Well, the thing I would say most is, is that the, the world is improving. The world's getting better. Um, and transformation is messy. Uh, so, you know, if you think about something like childbirth, it's not, it's, it's not this like lovely little process where everything just goes smoothly and, and you know, there's no mess involved. Um, there's, a, there's a quite a lot of, you know, screaming and, and you know, all that sort of stuff. So um, sometimes trans or often transformation is, uh, is, is a messy process. So sometimes we see some horrible stuff happening in the world and it's actually just part of birthing a different society. Um, and that it's actually, it's the death role of uh, history coming to an end and um, history, history changes in decades. It doesn't change in, in like, it's, it's not something that happens in days. Sometimes there are moments that change very rapidly, but often there are decades of change that happen. And um, sometimes something that's been like a 400-year struggle, it's going to take decades to, to end it, to kill it, and it's not going to die easily. Um, and it's not going to transform in this lovely little rainbows and unicorns and cupcakes mode. It's going to it's going to go through riots and it's going to go through bricks through windows and people are going to get killed and shot um, in the process of of that transformation. Um, you know, so use childbirth as an analogy. Transformation is like is in many cases transformations like childbirth. There's going to be joy and wonderful stuff that happens at the end but there's going to be a lot of pain uh, that, that, you know, that, that has to happen through that childbirth. There's going to be a birthing process. So when you look out at the world, have the context that the world is actually going through transformation. If it was quiet and calm and everything was all quiet on the horizon, that would actually be a signal that there was no change happening, no, no, no transformations going on. Um, so if you love change, if you love transformation, if you love the idea that the world will become a better place, um, you know, the, then, then just know that, that, that there's a process for that. Um, and then ask yourself the question, what, what are you called to do to add value? What are you capable of being control? What are, what are you capable of being in control of um, that would be a really positive part of the change? 
and and kind of almost exclude everything else and just focus on what you can do. You know, there's this stoic philosophy that that being virtuous is enough. That you don't have to solve every problem on the planet. You can be you can do you can live a virtuous life and solve problems that are that you can solve. And that's that's you being part of the tapestry of humanity. That's you playing your part. Um, and you know not every single person has to campaign for every single issue all the time to the detriment of everything else. You know, the, the person who's quietly getting on with creating something in their community, creating a business that's successful, that being a role model, um, you know, or raising a, raising a future leader, um, you know, someone who's going to play a part, uh, all of that is stuff that you're in control of. And when you focus on what you can control, then you feel empowered. And when you feel empowered, you move to the visionary. And when you move to the visionary, you create positive change. And if you feel disempowered, angry, frustrated, annoyed, you move to the amygdala and you actually make disempowered choices, disempowered um, decisions, and often you become part of the problem. Um, even though you don't want to be, uh, you often actually just become part of the noise and and it's not, you know, you're, you're kind of you know, you're not doing what it is you want to do in the world. So your experience of life gets better as soon as you focus on, uh, you know, recognizing that you, you are very powerful and you can do a lot within your sphere of influence. Love that, Daniel. Now, what came to mind when you were talking about the transformation was that any time that I've had a huge amount of resistance show up and it all looks really messy, there's always a breakthrough at the end of it. So um, there's always something to be had, you know, from the insecurity that there is an insight breakthrough waiting to happen. And the other thing that, that I really heard in what you said was that um, we're, we're kind of one being having 7 billion experiences, and yet we can actually, you know, create and, and share our gifts that are unique to us. We don't have to go looking um somebody else's gifts we've all got incredible gifts that we can share um that are actually so i just really want to thank you for coming on today it was such a pleasure and an honor to spend this time with you um if someone wants to get in contact with you um is curious about because i know we didn't really talk about the kpi program but um that would like to know more how would how can they do that um, one of the easiest ways is that we love to give copies of the Key Person of Influence book away. Um, if people just like to read the Key Person of Influence, we try and give away uh, at least a few hundred copies a month. So if you want a copy of Key Person of Influence, just email info at dent.global, uh, D-E-N-T dot global, G-L-O-B-A-L, um, and just say, I'd like a copy of the book. Here's my mailing address. Here's my name and my contact details. And basically we'll... Um, uh, at the moment, because we're getting a few of these, we might flick you back a link and you just fill in all your details and, uh, um, and we'll then automatically send you out a copy of the book as, uh, as a gift and you can have a read of it. If you dig what we, if you're picking up what we're putting down, you can, um, you can talk to us about, you know, working with us at some point um, and it'll all naturally unfold when the time's right. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. What a pleasure. And uh, yeah, um, until 
the next week. Bye-bye for now. And there we have it, another beautiful episode of The Joy of Being. Now, if you got something from this and you know somebody that could really, really do with a boost of positivity and joy, then please do share the episode with them. It's amazing the ripple effect that these episodes can have on others. Failing that, if you'd like to join a different conversation around what's going on in, in these uncertain times, then please do join the Facebook group, The Breathing Space for Hardworking Mummers. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash The Breathing Space for Mums in Business. 